What's up? Welcome back to the James Kennedy Podcast. I hope you're all good. You know, when I started this podcast, I didn't think I was going to make it past episode three. You know, I thought it was just going to be me talking rubbish about what I've been up to with my week. You know, and yet here we are approaching 25 episodes and we've had some absolute giants on the show. It's, it's crazy. We've had a guest every single week. The podcast is still going and it's becoming more and more commonplace now for people to come up to me, you know, out and about and say how much they're enjoying the podcast and you know their favorite episodes and things like that. So people are clearly starting to listen to the thing, which is cool. I didn't think anybody was listening. And it's made me wonder whether I need to start up in my game on the production side of things. You know, we don't have any intro music, <laughs> you know, no fun and games, no, um, no listener questions or anything like that. We can do some of that stuff if you want. But I kind of like the, uh, the DIY punk rock aesthetic to the thing of just an unedited, unfiltered chat with super interesting people. No frills, no fireworks, just interesting information from interesting dudes. And speaking of interesting dudes, today's guest is an actual member of parliament. That's right. This person has actually shared the same ear as Preeti Patel. <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting chat. And I'm really chuffed that I've managed to get their time today. So hang fire for what's going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm going to quickly do the preamble that I always do before we get started. Have you subscribed to the podcast? Have you hit the rating button? Have you left a review? If you haven't, stop being a freeloading jackass and get on it. This is free content, man. Come on, help a brother out. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about the value of content in today's conversation because today's guest is a strident supporter of the creative industries from within inside the walls of Parliament. And there's a whole host of things that I want to get into with them. So let's unveil the guest for today's episode. Kevin Brennan is the Labour MP for Cardiff West and a member of the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. He is a staunch supporter of the campaign for fairer remuneration for musicians in the streaming age and fights many causes for the creative industry from within Parliament. He is also an active musician himself, so we've got loads to talk about, so let's get into it. And welcome onto the show, Mr. Kevin Brennan. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Glad to hear it and thanks for being with us. Um, as I said, you are a consistent campaigner for the causes of the musical community, and, you know, and we thank you for that. So I wanted to start by asking you, as someone who has a heightened understanding of these issues, as well as you know, the regulatory back end of them, what do you personally see as the main issues facing the music industry, or more specifically, you know, um, musicians and artists, and the creative industries more generally? What do you feel are our main challenges right now? That um, they are industries, and that they <clears throat> employ people and make a large contribution to the UK's national income, a growing contribution, in fact, the creative industries have been the fastest growing part of the economy in, in recent years. And that needs to be recognised by policymakers and by government. But, of course, um, recent years have you know shown that uh, they can be affected, as other industries can be, by all sorts of, um, all sorts of things, including the, the COVID pandemic. And that had a massive impact on, on the live music industry as well as live theatre and other creative industries that depend on you being able to have an audience. Uh, and perform live. Uh, and it really, I think, threw into relief in the music industry in particular, the fact that uh, a lot of people were not making much money at all from the recorded side of the industry. A lot of the creators were finding that in this age of streaming, their income was uh, um, you know, pretty minuscule from the recording side. Uh, and uh, live, you know, the, the absence of live really threw that into relief. Um, there are lots and lots of uh, issues affecting the creative industries. I mean, for example, Brexit has had a massive impact, again, on the ability of people to play live, to tour, to develop their acts, to do the research and development of the creative industries, which is to get out there and, and play and perform yeah. and so on. Uh, and, um, you know, generally incomes uh, for creators are pretty low. And I know that you have been very vocal on the issue of remuneration rates within the streaming industries. Um, could you tell us a bit more about where we're at with that and what your personal position is on that? Yes, uh, there's you know, been a lot of debate about it in Parliament. I'm a member, as you mentioned in your introduction, of the Parliamentary Select Committee, which uh, looks at um, uh, culture and the creative industries. And we did an inquiry into the economics of music streaming precisely because of what I just said about the way that musicians are finding they weren't getting much money out of it and were um, concerned about the earnings that they were getting. And that 
uh, inquiry, which was pretty groundbreaking, actually produced a substantial report with a number of recommendations in it, uh, including a recommendation, amongst others, that uh, musicians ought to be guaranteed a payment when their music hmm. is streamed. That's something called equitable remuneration, similar to what happens if you get your record played on the radio. Uh, and that's something that you're entitled to under under copyright law. And so uh, as a result of that report, a number of things have happened. One is that the government um, set off a number of work streams within a part of the government known as the Intellectual Property Office or the IPO to look into things like creators' earnings, like the transparency of, informa transparency of information that musicians get uh, from their record companies and their publishers and so on. Uh, so there's a whole stream of work going on around that, like the kind of um, fairness of the sorts of contracts that uh, you're expected to sign if you are uh, involved in uh, recorded music. And um, it also then uh, triggered a report by the Competition and Markets Authority into the market uh, itself and into the dominance of the recorded music market by three very large companies, namely, namely Warner, Sony and Universal, and mm. whether or not that market was operating in a proper competitive way. Uh, where we're at right now is that the Competition and Markets Authority have, in, have issued an interim report uh, on that on that issue, which we might talk about uh, during the podcast, uh, and that there's a lot of ongoing work in the intellectual property office, which people from the music industry, both on the creator side and on the business side, are um, are, are discussing. And that is due. The government are due to give us an update. Uh, it's supposed to be in September, but at the moment, obviously, there's a lot churn going on in government. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that may that may affect that the timing of that, but. It's supposed to report back on where they're at with all that work in, in September. And I know the select committee will want to revisit where we are in the autumn and see um, exactly what's happened to our recommendations. Well, that all sounds quite hopeful, actually. I mean, I was under the impression that this was an issue uh, that had plateaued. I didn't think that there was a lot of traction within government on this. I thought it was kind of like a, a niche issue. I mean, you know, with everything else the country has got going on right now, I, I can't imagine that this would be seen as a priority within government. But given what you've just described, it sounds as if this is actually a bit further down the line than I thought. So then given that ultimately meaningful change with regards to remuneration rates, it's going to have to come from legislation because you know these these platforms like spotify are only going to work within the regulations that are set they're not going to they're not going to up the pay for musicians voluntarily so what needs to happen next with regards to that regulatory change and how far away do you think we are from that well you know, there is a process underway so yes that carries on but you are right to point out obviously that we are facing huge broader challenges you know economically uh, uh, as a country, you know, as, as other countries are as well, and you can't ignore the weather. And there's a there's an economic storm blowing in um, in relation to the cost of living crisis that yeah. the country's facing. So that, that is going to dominate. I mean, I'm I'm not pretending for one second that isn't. But there is a there is a, a a lot of work that is in in train, if you like, within government. And so there's a process going on um, now. You know, the the rates that people get paid. Um, you know, they, they're not a sort of product of evolution or something, you know, some kind of natural law no. or anything. They are determined by the way in which the industry is structured uh, and the deals that have been made, for example, by the major record companies who are also the major rights holders uh, in relation to, you know, publishing and the songs as well, because as, as many of your listeners may know, they're very large, big three also, as well as owning the the recordings, if you like, they also own a lot of the publishing, the, yeah. the money that goes to songwriters and composers from having written songs and music in the first place. Uh, and so at the outset of when streaming began, you know, over a decade ago now, they negotiated deals that were favorable towards the recording side of the business because that's more profitable for the record yeah. companies. Um, than uh, than the song publishing side, uh, that's that's gradually under pressure. Gradually changed a bit, and uh, the song started to get a, a bit better of a deal. But uh, one of the questions of our report, really, and of this whole process, is um, has actually the value of the song been suppressed artificially by the record companies because it's not in their interests necessarily for for that to get a bigger share of the pie. Now these things happen because of the negotiations that are done by these these big companies uh, with the streaming services like Spotify and Deezer 
and so on. Um, you know, they aren't sort of they aren't set in set in stone. So part of the competition authorities' inquiry was to look into that that whole issue. What is happening? Um, you know, going forward, I personally hope that um, you know what happens is that the industry comes to a much more sensible deal. You know, with music makers as to what the share of each part should be from streaming. I proposed a bill in Parliament which would have changed copyright law to ensure that that happens. Um, that bill um, wasn't successful. It ran out of time, but there's still the government's made it clear that if it, if it had to, it would be prepared to legislate if it thought the industry wasn't making any of the changes it needed to make itself. Hmm. Well, for fear of repeating myself, you know, this does all sound quite hopeful, actually. I'm quite surprised. I mean, I can understand why this is an issue that's close to your heart as a fellow musician. But are you seeing that echoed amongst your fellow MPs, particularly, you know, across party? And do you feel that this is an issue that is actually understood and taken seriously within Parliament? Uh, I mean, look, the the music industry is a complicated industry. It's one of the reasons, I think, why sometimes it, it doesn't get all of the scrutiny it should be getting. And it isn't always understood by people in politics, um, you know, just how significant it is in terms of its economic contribution and the number of jobs that it generates. So, uh, you know, traditionally, the creative industries have sometimes been viewed a little bit as Cinderella industries right. uh, because you're not manufacturing hard bits of metal yeah. unless it's heavy metal music. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're not actually banging out widgets and things like that. Yeah. Um, or, or uh, you know, and, and, and so, you know, as a country that has a tradition of manufacturing industry, um, uh, you know, it's understandable that 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 is the case, and manufacturing industry is very important. But we are actually very successful in our creative industries. We're one of the very small number of countries in the world that are net exporters of music. Yeah. I.e., we earn more foreign currency from our music industry uh, than we than 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 we actually pay out from our music industry. Most countries are net importers, if you like, of right. music in that sense. And so, we should be trying to maximise the comparative advantage we have. And in the long term, that comparative advantage is underpinned by our great creators, our musicians, artists, songwriters and composers and so on. And unless, you know, we have the right structure for them to be rewarded into the long term, um, then we'll lose that comparative advantage. And there are some unbuilt things about them, the, econ the sort of ecology, if you like, of music streaming that mean that our creators into the future musicians are likely to see a decline in their income rather than a growth in it, despite our success in this area. Just to give you one example, um, you know, uh, gradually there's a trend for streaming services to take over from radio. Um, you know, there's a, there's a declining trend in radio and an increasing trend uh, in streaming as a way right. of consuming music. And a lot of that consumption of music through streaming is not by a selection by the listener of wanting to listen to a particular song or album. It's because the streaming service will play out an algorithm of music it thinks you might be interested in. Right. So you're a passive right. listener. And in that way, you're a passive listener in a way that you might be if you tuned into a radio station, if you tune in Jazz FM or Classic FM yeah. or Radio 1 or whatever it is. And, um, and if you were doing that, then musicians get this guaranteed payment when your music is played on the radio called equitable remuneration. But if it's streamed in the way I've just described – they don't. And, of course, over time, if streaming services gradually replace radio, then obviously that income will gradually be lost to musicians. So unless we you know, do something about some of these things, we are undercutting our own advantage uh, you know, in music. Uh, and ultimately, you know, that's shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, this is something that we've talked about a few times on this podcast with previous guests it is, you know, on the subject of music is just how insane the, the cultural global footprint of the UK's music output is on the world. You know, I mean, for a tiny little island, you know, our foot, our musical footprint on the world is massive. You know what I mean? You know, it's the one thing that we do better than, better than anywhere, I think. But I know that for certain politicians, the, that musical aspect is not going to be the primary concern for them. They need to know that the economics add up, which, you know, as we all know, and as you outlined already, you know, they certainly do. So I'd be keen to find out what some of the other findings were from this interim report that you mentioned earlier that we could come back to. Um, what were some of the key elements from that report? 
Well, I think that, that that's one area where we might be a little bit disappointed, actually. And I think people from the campaigns have been disappointed by the competition and market authorities assessment because um, they seem to have swallowed the analysis of the uh, of the large record companies rather than listened hard enough to what's being said to them, you know, by the uh, musicians and songwriters and composers uh, who have been giving evidence to them. Now, uh, I'm, I've, I've met with them and I'll, I'll be putting further submissions in. This is an interim report, but it seems to me that what they've, they've missed is that what you have here in a way in in music is not that dissimilar to an issue that came up about a decade ago regarding supermarkets. You've got a big hmm. sort of, you've got, a, you've got, you've got supermarkets who are big, you know, businesses and you've got small suppliers who are supplying them, um, you know, with milk or whatever it is in, in terms of small farmers and et cetera, as well as, well as some larger ones. And at the end, pro, at the end of the day, you've got consumers who are probably getting, um, you know, a, a good price out of that, in the sense that the supermarket prices are, are, are pretty reasonable before the current cost of living crisis, yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that was a situation I'm just talking about over a decade ago. But what the Competition and Markets Authority recognized then is that in that equation, what you have is a very large number of small businesses, which is what musicians are, small you know, businesses, who are trying to make a living through their individual you know, uh, endeavor at quite a small scale often. Um, a, a large number of small businesses who are dealing with these very large companies um, who have a lot of market power over them and therefore can, you know, draw them into arrangements, you know, that, that, are, that are not fair in terms of the balance of power between the small businesses and the large ones. Now, the Competition Markets Authority exists to make sure there's, you know, good competitive markets and fairness within markets. And in the case of the supermarkets back then, they recommended to government that there should be a code of practice uh, brought in in the way that these large businesses, the supermarkets, deal with the small suppliers, and that there should be an independent adjudicator, a kind of ombudsman, if you like, who makes sure that that code of practice is enforced and is being followed by the big um, supermarkets. Now, it seems to me there's a, a strong analogy with what's going on in the music industry here, mm. in that the big, big businesses control really the 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 way that the money is um, divided up and distributed from uh, the streaming services because they own all the rights or the vast majority of the rights, and they have the ability, therefore, to you know say to streaming services, these these are the this is the terms on which we're going to uh, allow you to use our catalogs. Uh, and at the end product, the little supplier at the end, the, the musicians and so on, who for the most part are small businesses, you, yeah. we all know the famous exceptions to that, but that's not what we're really talking about here. No. Um, you know, I get in a raw deal. And I'm not saying that everybody, <laughs> whoever puts a, a song up on Spotify can make a living out of it because they can't. The vast majority can't. But those people who are credible artists with a following, uh, you know, who who definitely ought to be able to make at least some part of their living from their recorded music. Um, uh, you know, the system's not working for them. Well, Tom Gray was on the podcast a few episodes back, and he was explaining to us how basically the the streaming model, the remuneration model of the streaming systems is basically just built upon the, the major label model of yesteryear, you know, on, on the bad old days. You know, these aren't disruptive tech companies who are reshaping, the, you know, the, the, the landscape of the arts. They are actually building their castles on the bones of the pre-existing, grossly unfair major label model. Um, so who do you personally see as the, the main obstacles here? Is it, you know, the major labels? Is it these tech companies? Or is it a conglomeration of the both? Yeah, well, it, it is it is the impact of of both. And Tom's absolutely right. Of course, you've got this effectively analog structure, you know, from the old world of the old customs and practices of the music businesses, you know, the music business, <clears throat> which are notorious even back then. You know, back mm. in, the, in the sixties, you know, the business was largely run by gangsters. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but the, the 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 fact is, this whole system was kind of based on the assumptions of the old world, i.e that you had record companies with big underlying fixed costs like distribution. You, know, you had to have loads of lorries and 
yeah trains and planes to, to 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 get the records out to the record shops and like the retail front end where you had to have high street shops in order to do it manufacturing plants to manufacture um uh, uh albums and cds and so on now, i know vinyl's making a comeback but uh, uh nevertheless that, that that is no longer the case for the vast majority of the way that people consume music which is digitally so yeah all of those costs have gone from the industry a lot of the a and r costs in a way have gone because of social media and tiktok and yeah. spotify and facebook and all the rest of it because you know before you even get Anyway, you're really discovered, you know, by half a dozen people in a club like Oasis were, you know, these days. You're 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 actually already got a significant following. So you do your own A and R in a sense because you you've got a significant following already, probably on social media before you're going to get signed by a company. So lots of those, you know, former costs have fallen away, but the industry is behaving as if uh, they're still there and still taking the same cut or a very similar cut as they did previously when in fact more of that money should be filtering down to artists and in a case of legacy artists who might have signed a contract before um you know streaming was even invented they might be being held to terms in their recording contracts which assume all this extra money for manufacturing and so on and therefore pay them a, a pretty low percentage royalty so um and in many cases i'm sure tom told you some people you know, are deemed never to have recouped on their original advance. So they're deemed never to have paid back the record company for what they were given as an advance in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and therefore receive next to nothing, or if anything at all, from their streaming. They probably might get something on the songwriting, but maybe nothing at all from the recording side, uh, even though their, their their music is being streamed, you know, uh, by, by their fans. So yeah. um that, if you like, is is the way the industries continue to behave. Um, of course, what they've done then is the the, the distribution part of it, i.e., the streaming platforms, uh, now have arrangements with those um, big record companies for uh, being able to distribute their their whole catalogue via those streaming platforms. Yeah. Now, those businesses are not profitable in the sense they don't report profits. But they are generating huge revenues. I mean, Daniel Ek just recently spent millions and millions of pounds on sponsoring Barcelona Football Cubs Club shirt. I don't think the executives who are paying themselves vast fortunes in those companies are too worried at this point about whether they're profitable since their aim is simply world domination at this point rather than yeah, yeah. profitability. So all in all, you've got there a structure that suits everybody except the musicians uh, the actual people who are the source, if you like, of the product that these uh, people are distributing and, and, and selling to, to listeners. Uh, and that's wrong. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I agree with you. So, um, as you said, this is likely to be, despite the, the progress made on this, this is likely to be put on the back burner now because we are entering some very volatile times economically and socially. Um, what can people do who wants to get behind this because you know music is it's an it's an essential element in everybody's life isn't it there, there's no lack of support for artists and musicians out there on the streets so what can people do to support their favorite artists or you know emerging independent bands over the next however however long it's going to take before there start to be some rumbles of systemic change on this issue well, look, I don't give up on. I wouldn't give up on systemic change. Although there's lots of other things happening, the business of of government does go on, and 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 we have to keep pressing the campaign uh, because this is a this is a long term reform that we're looking for. So it, it, just because the economic weather is absolutely terrible at the moment, it doesn't mean it's still not the right thing to pursue and to right. do. So I'd, I'd say that first of all, and things only change if you if if people get together and um, you know campaign for it. Uh, so we should keep going and not, not not put your head in your hands about the, the situation. And as I say, there are a number of bits of work going on that are due to report, you know, in the coming months. So um, it's a very, very active um, situation at the moment. For individuals, <clears throat> there's a number of things that people can do. Obviously, I mean, keep supporting music for a start. Keep attending and and and, and go into to, to live music because for a lot of musicians, you know, that's the only way that they'll make their money. Do buy, you know, their physical product from them directly as well or through Bandcamp and other other um, interfaces like that because 
you know, often, um, you know, smaller musicians will make more money from selling a few records than they will by streaming, you know, you know, yeah. million, millions of <clears throat> millions of streams on, on Spotify. And yeah. so, you know, do continue doing things like that and, uh, and do actively get involved in campaigns and, and, and raise your voice about this. I think that, um, you know, that, that, that ultimately people really do care about music and they, they, but we need to reestablish that connection between the musicians that they love and, and the people who listen to their music. And one of the, in, one of the unfortunate side effects, I think, of the whole streaming ecology is the way that it breaks down the, the direct relationship between the fan uh, and the musician. Yeah. So m- lots of people don't understand that you might t- pay your £10 a month to Spotify because you want to listen, uh, you know, uh, when you can, when you're, you know, out of your work environment or, or whatever, to an artist that you love, you know, who, whether it's, you know, Miss, Miss A Nobody, whoever it is. But you might listen only to Ms. A Nobody, um, but your £10 is not going to go to the person you listen to, no. the person you pay money no. to listen to. <laughs> it's going to go to um, somebody whose music is, uh, you know, being streamed millions and millions of times by other people yeah. uh, who might have their music on all day because they're able to do that in, in whatever it is. They so they, they, in other words, there's no... There's no, you know, there's no connection between the fan, direct connection with the fan and the music they're listening to through the economics of music streaming. It's, it's, uh, it's something I think that, that, um, uh, you know, some people like SoundCloud, for example, are experimenting with trying to, yes. to change that. Um, but, but it, as fans, I think we ought to be, and as consumers, we ought to be saying, actually, we want our money to go to the musicians that we like to listen to and, and to, to advocate for that and speak up for it. Well, that's the difference between the pro rata system, isn't it? And the user centric or the fan centric system. Um, it is. It is. And it, it is. It isn't the answer to everything, but it, it is important. I think that, 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 that connection is reestablished between the music we listen to and the people who make it and, and the people who listen to it. And, and it has been broken down, I think in, in, in recent years, partly by, um, the way that the digital economy works in streaming and it doesn't have to work that way forever no i think it's crazy and i think it's a really important issue i mean if i pay my my 9.99 a month for spotify and all i listen to is swedish death metal you know they're not getting any of the money that i pay every month even though that's all i'm listening to i mean the, the way that it works for, for listeners that don't understand is that the all of the the, the subscription money gets put into one big pot and then divvied up amongst the biggest um, the biggest streamed artists, such as Ed Sheeran or Drake or whoever, they're getting all of the the money that is paid by listeners who may only be listening to Swedish death metal, you know, and who don't even listen to music made by the one percent. So yeah, that's right. Your 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 ten your ten pound. Uh, the, you know, the, the government will take its cut first of all, inevitably. We've got to pay our taxes. Um, uh, <laughs> then the the you know the um, the the streaming service will get its cut. Um, i.e. Spotify or, or, um, Deezer or whoever, Apple Music. Then, uh, the, the, the publishing company will get a bit. Um, and then the record company will get a chunk and the publishers and record company will pay whatever percentage it is they have to pay out ultimately to the, uh, to the musician. In the case of publishing, obviously you get a bigger percentage going to the musician than you do from a record deal. Yeah. Hence the reason why in my view, the system is skewed towards, you know, the, the, the record deal rather than towards, um, you right. know, the songwriter and composing side. Uh, and plus, you know, obviously as part of that, the big chunk of it will go to the, the, the record company. Um, so that's how the economics of it works, but it isn't going that bit that goes to musicians to who you listen to. It's just put into a pool and divided up according to the number of streams. Yes. Which, you know, in a way, that's a weird way of defining it, isn't it? If this is supposed to be, which is what the record labels argue, the equivalent of what you have you buying a record in the past, because that's yeah. the argument they make to justify the system that they use. If it's supposed to be that, well, if you bought a record and you took it home and you played it all day, you know, the artist is not going to get any more money <laughs> because no. you played that record all day at home. Um, you know, the artist uh, is actually only going to get what you, you paid for 
uh, their share of what you pay for for the for the record. So you might be a, a connoisseur of, of of music and uh, and buy every record by that particular artist. But under this system, um, you know they don't get the rewards. And it just shows, I think, this is a new type of way of consuming music. It does have elements of being a bit like buying a record, but it also has elements of being a bit like passively listening to the radio. Yeah. And that's why there needs to be a different way of rewarding artists to make sure that people are getting fairly paid that reflects the reality of that new technology. Do you think that streaming is here to stay or do you see there being another shift to come? Well, if I, you know, knew what was going to come next, then obviously I could put my meager savings into investing it, yeah. <laughs> investing in it. and uh, i do read the music press and look at the you know, forward trends and so on and there are various you know predictions that people make and in fairness i you know i i, I you know i think people deserve reward for investing in new technology and so on i'm absolutely not saying that that isn't the case but just as they re, re, you know deserve reward for investing in in new music as well but um uh it would seem that that the, this technology, streaming technology, is certainly has become the dominant way that people consume music. But then, would we have anticipated? Did many people anticipate, you know, twenty years ago, that it wouldn't be downloading um, where you actually, you know, effectively, if not if not legally, effectively owned a track when you downloaded it from iTunes onto your onto your iPod and so on. Um, would it, would would many people twenty years ago have said actually downloading as a technology will only last ten years and will be pretty much completely replaced by streaming where you don't own any tracks at all you just listen to them from a catalog um, you know so who knows what what comes next and right. there are all sorts right. of things about you know what's what's the significance of the metaverse what's the significance of the use of music in virtual worlds and so on where you know people's music is going to be being performed you know where you can attend a virtual gig performed yeah. by avatars we've seen a recent story yeah. about you know um you know the music industry getting into trouble for for artificial intelligence and music that is generated by you know by by algorithms and so on uh, and actually creating virtual artists there are all sorts of things that could seem like a dystopian future that we might face but in the meantime, um, I think we should fix <laughs> what we have got and what is right. going to yeah. be the dominant technology for the foreseeable future to make sure that it, it rewards creators. Great point. Yeah, well, it's, it does sound as if, you know, things are in movement on this issue, you know, thanks to the you know, the tireless work of, of people such as yourself. Um, so that does bode well for, you know, the future. But I want to steer off topic a little bit whilst we're on the subject of what people can do to help, because I have a lot of campaign groups and charities on the podcast, and I always try to end our conversations with them about with what can people do to help, you know, and as well as supporting the charities and getting behind the campaigns every single time. The answer to that question from these campaigners is what can people do to help is to lobby your MP. So whilst I've got an actual MP on the call, I'm dying to ask whether you echo that as an effective means of change. You know, I mean, as as I can see it, you're only one person. So if you have, you know, a hundred different causes lobbied to you from your constituents, you can't represent all of them effectively. So is lobbying your MP the ultimate tool of the constituent with regards to change? Or are these groups being uh, naive to the power of that? What's your experience? No, I don't think it's naive. I think it's important to do it, actually. And I can tell you that members of parliament, the thing that they listen to the most, um, you know, you might think they only listen to big, powerful interests, you know, and, you know, clearly, you know, there are all sorts of people who are very powerful, often trying to lobby members of parliament about things including the music industry but unless the voice of a, of a constituents are, are heard then then you know there's there's not enough incentive for them to do something about it and the thing that mps do listen to the most is individual lobbying from their constituents now sometimes where campaigns go wrong i think and are not as effective is if they sort of engage in what you might call a kind of clicktivism if you like where you you say here's an online letter click it and send this link and send it to your MP. And then that member of parliament might get, a, you know, a hundred identical emails 
you know, from right. a campaign. Uh, right. And and that you know, if you if you imagine you're you're receiving that on the other end as a a member of parliament, um, you know, then your 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 only way to respond to that really is to is to sort of come up with a, a stock answer and to to, right. to to send it back. You know, the answer to the constituents or whatever, or to post it on your website and so on. But if you're an individual uh, constituent and you're a you know you're a jobby musician, you run a local venue something like that where you're making you know a contribution in that person's constituency and you live there and you approach your NP individually either by you know writing to them by email or even by by snail mail still happens uh, or um, visiting their constituency surgery if they're able to hold one copy COVID has disrupted a lot of that process uh, you know um, or you know asking to asking to meet them to, to discuss you know the, the the issues and to explain your concerns and asking them to do something like, will you write to the minister to say, please, can you make sure that uh, the government does actually do something as it's promised to do um, in relation to improving creators' earnings from from music streaming, etc. In other words, you know, whenever the campaign, please, can you you know support the the, the campaign to 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 get musicians to be able to tour more freely around Europe and talk that sort of engagement actually does make a difference and engages the interest of, uh, of, of members of parliament. <clears throat> and ultimately we're all realistic. Lots of things that happen in parliament are determined by, uh, you know, the, the way that the government decides to do things. They control a lot of the agenda and the votes in parliament. Right. But the more you build up a body of MPs who, who take an interest in the subject of, musicians and understand the contribution that the music industry and the other creative industries make in all of our constituencies, um, then the more likely it is that policymakers will take notice. Well, that's great to hear. And thanks for answering that because I know where we're going off topic. But but, but staying on that subject a second, um, do you feel that as well as, you know, the personal lobbying of, of one's representative, do you feel that as well as that things such as, you know, protest and direct action and civil disobedience also influence you or are they not as effective to that end as a direct reach out from one of your constituents? Well, I mean, there's a long and there's a very long and sort of noble history of protest in 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 our country, and it's a vital part of any democracy. And sometimes that does include things like like civil disobedience, etc. Um, you know, but I mean, around I think issues like music industry reform and so on. I think it, this is this is something that is you know best done through uh, campaigning and raising voices and 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 getting people to understand the importance of our creative industries and to up their profile and importance within government because, you know, okay, you've got a department like digital culture, media and sport. It's a hugely important chunk of our economy as well as of our culture. And yet it doesn't have enough um, heft, if you like, within government compared sometimes to other departments. So part of the work I do on the select committee is to try to, you know, raise the, these sorts of issues up the agenda to get people to understand their importance. Uh, clearly, people, you know, will protest and take industrial action where things affect them directly, where they have the ability to do so, as we're seeing at the moment. And that, as I say, is is also another part of our our democracy. But I'm not advocating going around smashing anything up, by the way. But, but <sighs> damn it, but, just getting ready as well. Certainly not. But but. But definitely, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we we had a we had a good protest outside Parliament, a, a, a sort of typical musicians' protest, playing playing music and drawing attention to ourselves. You know, when my bill was uh, underway, and it got the it got the interest of a lot of MPs. Right. So I think right. one thing music's got going for it quite often, actually, is that many people, including politicians you know, are actually fans of music themselves. So that right. that's something that can be leveraged to get their attention and get them to understand issues that affect musicians and other creators. I'm just going to take a guess here, but I'm guessing that the music that's listened to by the uh, the party in blue there uh, is probably exclusively made by people from 500 years ago. <laughs> am I right in that or am I being unfairly uh, prejudiced? 
Uh, probably a little bit because I, I actually <laughs> I chair the all party parliamentary group on on music, which is a, a group of MPs from different parties who try to work together. You know, you often don't see that on on prime minister's questions or on question time on the telly or something. But, but there are that some of us do try to work together, understanding that that you know sometimes behind the scenes you can achieve quite a lot by doing that. And um, you know, there are um, uh, conservative politicians who are big music fans and. And, and fans of, uh, of, um, you know, more than just, uh, sort of Beethoven, uh, Bach. Old style music. everything, anything from everything from, um, from heavy metal to sort of indie stuff. And, you know, um, so, uh, or even hip hop and the, you know, so there are, wow. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't seek to totally parody, uh, people, you know, in, in that way. Um, okay. but obviously there are, there is a, there is obviously a, a tendency for people. I have a strong interest in in you know the arts and so on. Sometimes to take a more uh, you know kind of uh, liberal left wing view of society. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I, I also love the idea that, uh, as you just described there, of, of uh, Jacob Brees Mogg listening to some hip hop. But I'm guessing that's not who you're talking about. I want to stay off topic for just one more question before we loop back to talk about your band before uh, the clock runs out here, because I'd be doing my fellow lefties a disservice by not asking you this whilst I have a Labour MP on the line. You know, as we all know, the country is in a mess right now, worryingly so. We've got this crazy cost of living crisis, the, the fallout from Brexit, the price of energy is just disgraceful, and we've got a brutal winter coming up as well, which is going to exacerbate that. The NHS is struggling, workers' rights are being threatened, we've got the police and courts bill coming through, which is going to make protesting about any of it essentially a criminal act. And the country appears to be being sold out from underneath us to the highest bidder. So my question is, where's the opposition? We need Labour more than ever right now. And I just don't feel like an effective opposition to the behemoth of Tory destruction has been there for us. And I myself left the party to join the Greens. And I know that many other former Labour members are angry and disappointed. So... I would like to ask what your thoughts are on the current state of the Labour Party and do you understand why people are feeling so let down by you guys right now? I think, you know, let me tell you, I've been both in government and in opposition, you know, in my time in Parliament. And, uh, uh, you know, one one day in government is worth a thousand days in opposition. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that that you know, it's a bit like shouting into a vacuum sometimes being in opposition. And it's no good just being making a noise and it's no good just being a party of protest. You know, you actually have to have, uh, uh, you have to be very, very serious about understanding that in order to win an election, which is what you have to do to really make any difference, that you've got to persuade people, you know, who haven't previously voted for you uh, to vote for you. So I think, you know, I, I think that, that, yeah, it's it's quite easy sometimes to 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 say you should be making more noise, should be more disruptive, and and so on. I think what's needed most of all is for the Labour Party to provide a credible opposition that can look like and that people see as an alternative government. And with the mess that the current government's made and the mess that's going to be you know left behind, that's going to be an extremely you know difficult task. So. I actually think it's we really need to focus in on trying to unify around getting rid of this current government because of the mess they're making of the country. And the more and more that we just simply are kind of, uh, you know, disunited about that, the, the more it will allow them to, to have yet another term in office. And that's always been the problem, I think, on the left side of politics. We tend to divide ourselves up into factions, whereas the yeah. Tories are focused on one thing and one thing alone, and that is yeah. power. And they, that the, the reason they are so successful is because they do focus on what it takes to, to, to actually be in power and then to stay in power. And uh, if we, you know, if we can't unite at the moment to say we have to get rid of this dreadful government which led us into this economic disaster and which is doing so much to. Um, ruin the country and you know disrupt our reputation across the world as well uh then you know then 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 that would be a, a terrible indictment a terrible failure so i i think we all need to just you know that we can argue about various things but if we can't focus on that um then i'm afraid you know we, we've got no chance 
Yeah, great point. Well argued, and you know, thanks for answering that because I know that wasn't really on the, the sort of topic list. Of uh, and by the way, a lot of the a lot of the proposals that I'm making are you know in the Labour you know front bench um, policy book, and will you know be things that we'd be proposing in our manifesto. So they're worth fighting for and worth voting for if you're interested in trying to bring about the sort of change for the creative industries and musicians that we're talking about. Well, as I mentioned, I've now left the Labour Party. I'm now a member of the Green Party um, because of, like I said, because of the the growing sense I of disappointment. Vote, vote, vote tactically for Labour in the uh, in the general election, uh, you know, uh, unless you're, you know, because otherwise you might let a Tory in. Depends where you live, obviously, but. Uh, anyway. Yeah, well, we had Owen Winter from the campaign group Make Votes Matter on a few episodes back talking about proportional representation. And obviously, unfortunately, until we get that, then, you know, tactical voting is, really is our only option, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Because, the, as you say, the priority number one is to get the damn Tories out, you know, yeah, yeah. by hook or by crook, you know, so we, we can figure the rest out later on. <laughs> we, we, well, I'd agree with you on, on proportional representation. But as you say, it's it's, you know, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Love it. Love it. Right. Well, before we quickly wrap up, I just want to ask you about your bands and your, your own music. So let's loop it back to music and, and tell us what's going on. Yeah, uh, I've, you know, always uh, played music since I was uh, a teenager and written songs and so on. So I've been actively uh, um, playing music you know, all my life. And from time to time, I played in, in bands and so on. But when I became an MP, the uh, last thing I expected happened was to end up playing in a rock band but it turned out that uh, we had some uh, musicians in parliament at that time in the early 2000s one was pete wishart who is the scottish national party uh, member but who played for 18 years in runrig who were you know, a big scottish band and uh, were on top of the pops and you know played to hundred thousand people at Loch Lomond and all that kind of thing and uh, another guy was a labor mp called ian causey who who had played semi-pro all his life as a bass player mainly in covers bands but you know and then and the, and then they were looking around and thinking we'll never find a drummer and unbelievably they stumbled upon a guy called greg knight who's a conservative mp but who played in a lot wow. of soul soul bands in the in the 70s uh, and then i said well you can't you can't just have keyboard you know bass and drums you gotta have guitar and vocals as well so we ended Hell up yeah. a band called mp4 and over the years you know we've done a lot of gigs we've been on tv and we raised quite a lot of money for charity and made a, a few records and uh and then just recently on a personal basis i actually finally got around to recording um a solo album which is out on revolver records you'll be wow. interested your listeners might be interested to know and it's uh, available on all the streaming services despite the lousy rate that they pay and uh, <laughs> Uh, it's called The Clown and the Cigarette Girl and uh, under the name Kevin Brennan. And they're all um, you know, my own uh, compositions. Uh, and if you like a bit of kind of folky, rocky, Americana-y type of um, music, um, singer-songwriter-y stuff with an emphasis on narrative songwriting, that's what you'll find on, on my album. So give it a spin if you fancy. Well, I have, and I, I can say, yeah, it's really, really good, man. I'd, I'd love to come and check you out if you're playing in the area sometime soon. You'll have to let me know. Well, um, there are a limited amount of gigs I'm able to do given the, yeah, of course. the, the full-time yeah. <laughs> job. But I did, I did do one at the Hundred Club earlier this year, which uh, which uh, was fantastic. And I also did one in Cardiff to launch the vinyl uh, version of the the album, which was also great. And I was lucky enough to be able to recruit Glenn Matlock, i.e., formerly of the Sex Pistols, to play bass yeah, yeah. both both wow. on the album and live with me before he defected to Blondie, where he's currently. <laughs> currently on tour in the states playing with blondie so um, i may have lost his services i think <laughs> well i'm just in awe that you managed to do all this stuff you know whilst you know your full-time job as an mp and everything else that you're doing as well you're putting me to shame man <laughs> and uh, and on that note i promise i wouldn't keep you uh, past half past so the clock is getting on now so kevin i'm going to bid you farewell and let you get on with the rest of your your, your, your pressing affairs Thanks so much for taking time out your schedule to chat with me today and to share all that info. And thanks so much for uh, everything that you're doing inside and out of Parliament on this uh, on this issue as well. The musical community thanks you, and we're rooting for your success. It's been an extraordinary pleasure, James. Thanks for having me. Oh, any time, man. You know, and uh, you know, I-, I look forward to coming out and catching one of your gigs. Definitely. Keep going. Cheers, Kevin. Cheers. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin Brennan, Member of Parliament for Cardiff West. And also, as we've just discovered, you know, performing in a kick-ass rock band with a, with a slamming solo career. So, you know, definitely putting my lazy ass to shame.
That was another chat that challenged quite a few of my preconceptions, which I always like to have done. You know, and Kevin made some interesting points there towards the end about the nature of representation and democracy, which was off script, which was off topic. It's not what we'd arranged to talk about. So I appreciate him um, letting me take us into that territory. And I hope that that gave an interesting insight, certainly into Kevin's experience as a member of parliament and what is the most effective means of lobbying somebody um, who is a member of parliament. Because that is something that gets discussed a lot on this podcast is, you know, how do we affect change? I'm still not going to be making up with the Labour Party anytime soon because I am deeply disappointed in them. But I do understand Kevin's point about, you know, they they are unfortunately the only chance we've got of getting the Tories out. So, you know, we may have to do what we've got to do on the next election. But I am deeply dissatisfied with the Labour Party, which is a shame because, you know, that is traditionally the party that I would align myself with as a person on the traditional left. But that notwithstanding, you know, Kevin in particular is, uh, as a Labour MP, is doing amazing work on the issues of fair remuneration for musicians and, you know, a whole host of other cultural concerns through the work that he does at the Select Committee. So, you know, as I've grown to learn over the years after my 10 years in the dark abyss of complete cynicism, as I've grown to learn, they're not all the same. You can't say that about any group of people. You can't say it about any race or religion. You can't say it about protesters. And you can't say it about politicians. As much as I'd like to be able to tell them all with the same brush and say they're all the same, unfortunately, you know, they're not all the same. It's not that simple. But, you know, democracy isn't perfect. It's messy. It's slow. It's full of compromise. But at the moment, it's the best we've got, you know, and we're, we're lucky to have it because so many places around the world don't. So having Kevin confirm for us now that, yes, MPs do react to being lobbied by their constituents. I think we've all got an open door now to, uh, to start making some noise with our representatives about whatever the issue may be that we're concerned about. So that's a great insight. I hope you enjoyed the rest of the chat as well about the music industry and the streaming models. And as Kevin said, the best way that you can continue to support your favorite artists between now and getting any kind of legislative change is to, you know, get involved directly with the artists that you want to support, you know, get, get behind the crowdfunding campaigns, you know, buy some merch, you know, make a donation to their tip jar or whatever it might be. You know, musicians have gone from being shafted by the music industry to now being shafted by the music industry and the tech industry, you know. So we keep doing what we're doing because we love it. You know, that that's the drug for us is being able to share our passions with people that want to hear it. But at the end of the day, you know, we've got to eat food in order to do that as well. You know what I mean? So if you're able, because I know times are hard for everybody right now, if you're able, you know, there are so many ways that you can directly help to support the artists that you love. And the same goes for us lowly podcasters as well. You know, we don't ask for much. All we ask is that you subscribe to our podcast, you click follow, you click the, the star rating and you leave a review. Is that too much to ask? I mean, I don't think I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but I would love it if you subscribe to the James Kennedy podcast to get these, you know, awesome episodes direct into your notification box every week so that you never miss an episode. And if you can give me a rating so the algorithm starts to think there's something cool going on over here and suggests it to other people and then we can spread the propaganda even further, then that would be awesome. So um, there's something you can do to support a, a humble artiste without even spending a shekel. We've got some insane guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for those. And in the meantime, as always, take care of yourself, take care of others, have an awesome week, and I'll see you next time, same place, same time. Love you loads.